Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Blacks, a rich, smooth, and truly delicious chocolate experience. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Just a reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and to get in touch with us on Twitter or Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or by email thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com about anything at all. Our final big night is coming up this Saturday. Well, it's the final one for a while. We're going to take a bit of a break, but I think we'll be back and we'll give you all the details of that in Thursday's episode. Now, I know that some of you have lost people in the last few months, whether from COVID or other illnesses or events. And it's clear that grief and death in the time of a pandemic with all the social distancing guidelines at funerals and all the rest of it is a very fraught issue. So we wanted to talk to Orla Keegan at the Irish Hospice Foundation's Bereavement Support Line, which launched on the 9th of June, providing a confidential space for people to speak about their experience or to ask questions relating to the death of someone during the pandemic or even a previous bereavement that is more difficult at this time. And the problem with talking about grief having stages, then people think, oh, you get over it. So they set up maybe false standards for themselves and they think, why am I so upset? You know, it's been three months and we're saying, you know, grief, this is another lovely quote, grief is the price of love. But before we talk to Orla, we wanted to bring you some personal accounts of grieving and loss. Back in March, the Irish Times put forward an open call to readers to share their personal experiences of bereavement during the pandemic. Some of those who contributed also shared their story on the Confronting Coronavirus podcast. Today, we wanted to bring you some of those recordings with contributions from Louise O'Connor, Sarah Judge, Geraldine Eskenazi and Barna Brennan. So here they are. We lost our father Ronan suddenly on Sunday, March 22nd. My 89-year-old grandmother has been unable to hug her loving family members, friends and neighbours since she got the news. My dad had no pallbearers, though there were dozens of sons, brothers, cousins and friends who would have been honoured to take on the role. The church would have been full to the brim, but instead we sat in a tiny group, three to a row, bowed under our grief as the priest's words, kind and full of love, echoed over us. We couldn't tell jokes. We couldn't go to his local for a slap-up meal or encant my dad's favourite one-for-the-ditch mantra, knowing full well it was never going to be just one. We couldn't greet softly remembered faces from childhood, so much older now, as neighbours, colleagues and friends filed towards us to tell us how he had done them a kindness or changed the course of their life with some sage advice. The worst part of grieving through this pandemic is the feeling that the grief has not really yet begun at all. 
It's easy to tell ourselves he's safe in his house. It's just that his phone is on the blink again. I never thought my Nana would die alone at 96. Nana did not die of COVID-19, but she entered her final days when limited visiting times were restricted to no visits at all. My mother was allowed a short visit in her final hours. Nurses and carers, despite battling a pandemic, took time to facilitate FaceTime calls and read our letters to her. On the morning of her funeral, we took branches of cherry blossom from a neighbour's tree to adorn the hearse. The funeral procession was just five relatives walking down the street she lived on. There was no shaking of hands, no hugs or kisses, no stories exchanged from friends or neighbours, no raising of a glass or a song sung in her honour at a wake. Have we given her the send-off she deserved? Nana was not a woman for show. The pair-back funeral allowed us to focus on the value of her life the impact she had and the unbearable loss we continue to feel. My 88-year-old mam, Bridget Srinan, was in decent health when she was moved into a nursing home in January. I flew home from San Francisco to make sure she settled in, putting up pictures of the grandkids and labelling her clothes for the laundry. We were welcomed by the lovely staff members and nurses My brother Dermot and I were so excited for all of the social activities for my mam as she loved the crack and being around people. Two weeks ago, my sweet mam was diagnosed with COVID-19. She died on Saturday, April 11th. This plague robs you of moments you can't comprehend. Stroking her hair when she is sick holding her hand when she is dying, supporting my brother at the burial when my mam was lowered into the ground beside my dad. As she lay there with laboured breathing, I told my mam on speakerphone how grateful I was to have her as my mother and that I loved her. The nurses and staff were amazing and spent so much time with her In her last few days, they are my heroes. My brother-in-law, Sean, got that bad cold that people had after Christmas. He wasn't improving as time went on, and he was admitted to hospital on the 1st of March. He had developed double pneumonia. Uh, He was tested for COVID-19 because it had just arrived in Ireland. He didn't have that but he just did not respond to treatment and he died on March the 10th. We were advised not to go to the Mass because of all that was happening. My sister Genevieve and I were always there for each other. Good times and bad, celebrations and losses. And it was so painful not to be there with her and just hold and support her. And it was really difficult for her not to have us, her family, there with her. We did celebrate his month's mind on Zoom. My brother, a priest in South Africa, celebrated the Mass. And family joined in from San Diego, New York, Sydney, Cork and Dublin. We all shared our memories of him at the end of the Mass. 
It was hugely therapeutic. And we were there for each other, even though continents part. Now, when people pick up the phone to the Irish Hospice Foundation's bereavement support line, they can be assured of a confidential, safe space in which to talk about, mourn and even celebrate the life of a loved one who has died. Orla Keegan is one of the people behind the special phone line, which launched on the 9th of June. And I began by asking Orla to tell me about the helpline and why it was set up. I suppose like we're a charity that looks to make sure that dying, death and bereavement um, happen in the best way they can and that people are always supported. So once it became clear that COVID was on its way, I mean, our offices shut the 12th of March and we had a board meeting um, less than two weeks later and we really wanted to be planning for how we could support people who would be bereaved during this time. So we started to scope out a bereavement line from that point. Um, We worked with the HSE on it as well and obviously the HSE were very much planning for the unknown, but um, but really a large impact um, in terms of grief and, and bereavement. So basically, I suppose our thinking was that this is uncharted territory. The volume of deaths and the volume of bereavement would be much higher than usual. And on top of that, all the circumstances would be different. So the places where people usually get support would be unavailable to them, particularly in the short term. So we also did a load of research in terms of, well, what might help? Because, you know, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So part of our job is to make sure that we're doing the right thing. So we looked up about other emergencies and traumatic situations. And there's a model called psychological first aid. So that in the first instance, you really need to hold a person, make sure that they are safe and then provide comfort information and connection to other services so that they can empower themselves uh, to help themselves. So we took that model as something that could translate to phone support. And we also built in what we know about bereavement and particularly the early stages and phases of bereavement when people are, are very confused and challenged to make sense of what's happening. So we did a lot of that So then you launched the bereavement line on June 9th. Can Mm. you give us a little insight into the kind of things people have been ringing about? Because you're not just dealing with people who've lost uh, to Mm. COVID, but just who've lost people at this time. I mean, I, I have a friend who lost her mother and, you know, I know from speaking to her, the whole trauma of doing the funeral thing without very many people and and not being able to hug people and not being able to get solace in that way has been huge and making things very difficult. So give us an insight into what people have been talking to you about. Okay, and you sort of put your finger on it there that that people are in totally unfamiliar territory because in Ireland we go into a script around death and you know that's very purposeful it helps us and you know we we have three days where we are really caught into high activity of planning and people are coming in and out of our homes or we're going to a funeral home there's really a lot of very structured and scripted activity so without that people are 
at a loss. And I suppose one of the things that that, that we, we've noticed is that people were maybe a bit conflicted as to whether they gave the person the right send off. You know, there's, there's an element of funerals and the whole wake, they play a number of functions. I mean, they help you come to the reality of a death, you know, because it's such an intense time. Um, and then you go to the funeral um, and you're being removed from the person. So there's a, a very, um, it's a transitional phase. Um, the other thing they do is they allow other people to offer comfort, you know, and to and to be there for you. And the third part is that they are a tribute and, and a very vocal tribute to the person who has died. So I think sometimes some of the people who are phoning felt was the tribute missing, you know, that a person through their life had earned so much. You know, they were a really vital part of a family and a community and that they didn't have that opportunity to, to, to voice that. Now, we have also had people phone um, and they have said that that really wasn't the problem for them, that the time around the, the funeral, that they actually felt by only having the immediate family, they had a very uh, intimate time um, and an intimate ceremony to, to say goodbye. So again, um, we know in grief, one size does not fit all. And so I guess we've heard all the, all the sides in, in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. And it impacts everyone differently, I suppose, because mm-hmm. this idea mm-hmm. that, you know, there's five stages of grief and that they happen you know, sequentially and this is the way it is. But in your experience, and, and that's not the case. No, no. Really, um, we talk about grief as, you know, ebbing and flowing. It's really a fluid experience. Um, and in the early times, you know, it, it is overwhelming, you know, so so there's not there's not so many waves, you're just in um almost drowning in grief. But as time goes by, you're moving into your normal activity and you're moving back into the emotion of grief. So you know spending time in each, you know, the world drags you out. You have to go to work. You have to mind the kids. You have a certain, I suppose, um, uh, challenge to get on with life. And then in your quieter moments, you have your grieving. So we know that it's, that it's much more dynamic than, than happening in stages. And we talk about grief ambushing you. Um, and the problem with talking about grief having stages, then people think, oh, you get over it. So they set up maybe false um, standards for themselves and they think, why am I so upset? You know, it's been three months and we're saying, you know, grief, this is another lovely quote, grief is the price of love. So you'll always have some upset because it connects you to the person who died. But you'll be you'll be connecting and upset with love you know, um, not not in a way that is debilitating. Um, so we say to people, be a bit gentle on yourself and allow your grief. So setting up a series of hurdles that I, that, oh, I'm in denial now, I'm angry now, I haven't yet been in this stage, is, is really not helpful. Um, so, so we try to reassure people that they're not going mad, um, that grief is more than sad feelings. You know, we feel grief in our body. 
um, we feel we we behave our grief. Uh, we get narky and irritable. We can't concentrate. You know, those are all parts of grieving as well. Um, it's it's not just sadness or, or yearning. So I think that there's maybe a lot more, and COVID in a way is giving us this opportunity, a lot more we could do to talk about grief and to help people have sort of realistic um, expectations of themselves and to be a bit easier on themselves. So when you ask about our calls, you know, many of our calls are, and they don't put it this way, but it's a bit like, am I grieving in the right way? Am I doing it right? Is this something you've heard about before? You know, and, and we can we can reassure in, in that degree. Green and Black's Organic Chocolate, a selection of ethically sourced flavours combined with a rich cocoa intensity. I wanted to ask you about, in terms of talking, as you just talked about, talking about death and, and the way we grieve and all these things are very important because there's a real fear there and it can be something that people don't want to look at, but actually it's such a normal part of life. Yeah, I know in the UK particularly, and I think here a little bit, there have been, been these things called grief cafes mm. where people mm. get together mm. to actually talk about yeah. these times in our lives and to look ahead and to, about our own deaths. Um, yeah. How important is that? Um, I think there is a bit of a, a movement happening for sure. Um, and um, we, we've done them ourselves in the Irish Hospice Foundation. And we believe they are important because, you know, it's one of the things we will meet um, for ourselves and our family members. And they started off as being called um, death cafes in the UK. And we've had a sort of a variation on that called cafe conversations. And it helps people just to think about, in particular, their own death for starters. You know, have they any preferences? Have they ever thought about that? And we try and do it in a sort of a, you know, you have you have a cake, you have a coffee. It's not it's not about, OK, very somber. It's, it's really just to have a, a natural conversation. And it gets people thinking if they do have very strong feelings, maybe about, um, like, say, starting with your funeral, about what you would like at your funeral. So some people would say, um, I, I wouldn't like a religious ceremony. And I hadn't realized how strongly I felt about that until here I am talking about it. Or they might say, oh, I would I would love to have X music or Y poem read at my funeral. And, you know, so that's that's one piece. But the, the deeper part might be, well, what sort of, if you're approaching death, what would your preferences be? Um, and by having that conversation, it's quite healthy because it means you'd be able to engage with your nearest and dearest and talk to them about things that are important to you. Maybe picking up on unfinished business, um, saying the classics, you know, I'm sorry, I forgive you, I love you. Um, and if you have a, a sort of an openness towards death, you can you can close and be with people and make for, I suppose, a healthier bereavement for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you talk and think about and engage with death and dying, you might consider what sort of medical treatments you might want to refuse at the end of your life, for example. So once you start the conversation, it can bring you into, into many different um, arenas and um, that are really the stuff of life yeah. you know 
I know my mum has found it very useful to talk about it because she has um, gone through the motions of donating her body to, you know, the World College of Surgeons, I think it is. Okay. And she, it's very comforting to her. Yeah. She's yeah. happy that there will that that will be all taken care of. That they will come and do all of that stuff, and exactly. she, doesn't, she doesn't want to feel like we're going to have to be left with that. And also, she feels she wants to do something good. Yes. And yeah. While it sounds quite macabre, and obviously we don't want her to die ever. Yeah. Yeah. That I know it's been helpful for her to have that conversation, and I'm sure, even though to a lot of people it might sound very off-putting or weird, it's actually quite a normal thing to do. And I think. Yeah. And it's normal in your family. And it's um, there's another saying, um, you know, um, talking about death doesn't make you die the same way as talking about sex doesn't make you pregnant. You know, so it's, it's OK. <laughs> yeah. What about in your own life, your own bereavements? Um, what have you learned from those that helped you? I mean, you're yeah. like everyone else. You're, you're a counsellor at the end of a, of a phone line, but you're also someone who's lived. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Well, um, I guess I so I, I've been working a long time at the Hospice Foundation and I work in, in you know, I've worked in research, I've worked in education and I've worked in, in bereavement. And well, I guess my own dad died in 2018 and really... I think, you know, the book learning lets you think about uh, death and loss and other people's experience gives you some insight. But it's it's really when when you experience it, it is totally different and and, and totally unique. And I think um, you learn about yourself. Um, And I would have been one of those people who bodily felt my grief. absolutely exhausted for a long time and so again um, it wasn't so much the stereotype um, of of crying and weeping it was like sleeping and not being hardly able to you know to to conduct my my affairs and I think um, knowing more about the world of grief helped me at least to connect that to the grief because I don't know if I would have otherwise. Um, and I was, I was, um, I was also maybe more irritable. But it just tells me about the sort of person I am. That that, that that's how my emotions come come out. Um, and I think being open and, and honest with yourself around that. And I think it's always with you. Um, my dad died in a nursing home, um, and I have found it incredibly difficult um to to thinking even of the documentary in RTE last week about nursing homes and you know the idea that I wouldn't have been able to see my dad um the idea that I couldn't have been with him when he died um so I it, it, it certainly opens you up um to I suppose the fact that you can't control what happens um and it makes you, I th- I hope, a bit more em- em- empathetic towards towards people. Was that the um, first um, significant bereavement that you experienced in your life? Um, again, I suppose that's that. Uh, I can't help but but think this because um, my best friend died, um, and that's an out of order death. You don't you don't think about that as a, you know, as a possibility. So, I think both of those um, would have would have shaped uh, I suppose my my understanding um and to some degree shaped my um my work and I think what 
uh, and one of the things we talked about um, earlier, just when we were talking about the line, and one of the things that really would have struck me about people who phone the line is that we have had quite a number of people who've lost friends. And to me, that's a really um, maybe under-recognised loss. Um, and I think that would have chimed with me. And I remember when my when my friend died, it would be people would say, oh, um, what age was she? Did she have kids? And all of these things seem to, you know, estimate, well, what was her value in the world? You know? um, and I remember um, just from the calls then, the people are saying, my friend died and maybe they weren't even one of the ones who were at the funeral because there were only 10 people. Um, so there's a, there, there's an invisibility to grief and loss that can make it horrendous for people. Um, and that if there's something that we can do as communities, as friends and neighbors is value those sort of losses. Mm. The other thing I've noticed is adult siblings you know, and, and if your um, your adult sibling dies, you know, they've created maybe their own nuclear family now. And by definition, you're a little bit outside of it. And, and that can be a, a sort of a lonely and, and a challenging grief as well. Um, so it's a. It's, it's very multifaceted. So the reason I stopped there is because it's about losing a relationship um, and relationships are so personal. You know, you can't, uh, you can't maybe categorize them by blood tie. It's not always blood tie and people assume a stronger bereavement with a blood tie. That's not always the, the case. I experienced bereavement at quite an early stage of my life and, mm. Um, a couple of significant ones from the ages of eight to sort of 11, 12. And I always find that it gave me, it sort of inured me a little bit. Like I find that I, I would know lots of people who'd never lost anyone. And I would mm-hmm. find that quite amazing moving that people mm-hmm. move through life without that touching them. So that when it happens um, at an older time, it's, and I'm not saying it obviously was, de- it is devastating to lose mm-hmm. someone when you're very young and it, and it has other yeah. effects, but there's a sort of, um, uh, awakening or a realization that happens then that everything's very precious and life is not um, certain and you know you don't know what's around the corner you kind of get that lesson in a much harsher way but I always mm. found it very interesting friends of mine who then maybe grandparents died or something in their yeah. 20s or 30s and yeah. devastation you know it's interesting yeah. It? yeah no it is and again we have a sort of a, a a view on that I mean if you look at the psychology of it it's sort of you're shattered assumptions we call it like your 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 unconscious assumptions are that the world is a safe place and a predictable place and you know and a good and a benign place and you know when death comes into that it it really does um shatter your worldview and you have to build build that up again and um, so it, it it is difficult for people um, and I mean, we're a healthier society, so, you know, people aren't um, like the, the way and not maybe just a generation and a bit ago, you know, you were you were around dead grandparents. You went to funerals. There were, you know, there was a very close connection to death and, and that isn't there uh, so much now. Hmm. Do you think it's changed things forever, COVID? I mean, obviously, we don't know where things are going to land afterwards, but um 
I suppose there will be lasting changes, won't, won't there? Mm-hmm. There will. And it, I, I think in in terms of, say, just looking at death and dying and bereavement, I would hope there'd be changes for the better. Because one of the things that, that happened is because people couldn't physically maybe go to funerals or be around um, at the time of the death, I think they were quite creative in looking at other ways of connecting, you know, and making sure that they reached in to, to bereaved people. Because sometimes people feel a bit awkward about doing that. So, you know, maybe uh, phoning a bit more, texting, writing, just being there. Um, and one of our the pillars of our work as a hospice foundation is to put death back to being a part of everybody's business. So it's not about, oh, somebody's been bereaved, get a counsellor. It's really about, you know, natural supports. So I think I think people have become more um, empathetic through this. So that, that could be a lasting change. And I think um, the fact that people couldn't be always visited around the time of death, I think what that has done is heighten awareness of how important that time is and how we need to allow and make it feasible that people are there at a time of death. And so I think, you know, COVID, if COVID moves on, we still have scope to make sure that the time of death, wherever it happens, um, is the best it, it can be. And if COVID comes back, we'll have to balance um, I think the the physical distance from the the, the psychological connection and and, and try and uh, allow both. Um, so I think it, 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 it the change is it's going to make us think a lot more about things like um, older people's care and how that's organised. So there will be there will be a lot of thinking I think coming out of COVID and 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 I think bigger hearts. I hope bigger hearts. Yeah. Um, so Orla, tell us how people can get in touch, because I'm sure there's people listening who maybe would really value something like this, but hadn't thought to do it. So yeah, it's a line, yeah. what, what time is it open and how can people get in touch? Okay, so for the moment, we open it every morning at 10 and it's open until one o'clock. And the number is 1800 80 70 77. And basically, if you you don't even have to have formulated in your mind why you want to fall, you know? And and we said, I mean, at the very beginning there, you said it's not just about people maybe who've been bereaved through COVID. Anybody who's been bereaved since March will have been affected by COVID in terms of the funeral and the ritual they, they could have. But we've also had people phoning about a bereavement that happened maybe years ago. Because through this time, you know, death is more present with us and equally people have been more socially isolated. So I, I would say if you're listening to this and you're thinking, um, mm, should I or shouldn't I? I would say you should, even if you're not quite sure what's driving you, just pick up the phone and, and, and we'll chat with you. Okay. Well, Orla, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about not it. Um, it's actually been quite an enjoyable conversation about death. Is that okay? People, people find that exactly, and that's it. Let's um, let's let's do more of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much. That was Orla Keegan there, and as she said, it's a national free phone service. 
1-800-80-70-77, which is available from 10am to 1pm Monday to Friday. Thanks very much to her and to Louise O'Connor, Sarah Judge, Geraldine Eskenazi and Berna Brennan, who shared their stories of loved ones who died during the pandemic. That's all we have time for. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Do get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on the Women's Podcast at IrishTimes.com. That's it from me. Mind yourself, and I'll talk to you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.